Perhaps one of the most maligned and misunderstood cryptos in the top 10 is XRP. True believers stand by it and haters continue hating. We are XRP agnostic, XRP agnostic, and are fascinated by all the cryptos. It's been several years since CEO Brad Garlinghouse joined us on this very show. And today we're pleased to speak with David Schwartz, the chief technology officer of Ripple, to go deeper down the rabbit hole. Love it or hate it, we're here to talk all about Ripple and XRP on this May the Schwartz Be With You, episode number 538 Oi, of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three. Spaceballs is still one of the best Mel Brooks films of all times. I, I I'm curious, like, like, what's a bad Mel Brooks film? Um, he made he made a few that were touch and go a little later on, but I I still think the funniest Mel Brooks scene of all times. There's two of them. I'm gonna go with maybe because I was you know 10 years old at the time and my mom took me to see blazing saddles but the campfire scene where they're eating beans and just farting Farting. like crazy we we have some more beans mr taggart (laughs) boys had enough (laughs) that one and history of the world part one where moses comes down from the mountain and he's holding three tablets yeah the lord has given to you yeah these these 15 and one tablet falls and breaks oi 10 Ten Commandments. I mean, talk about packing uh, just a metric shit ton of comedy in 30 seconds. Wow. Masterful. All right. Yeah, he made some great he made some, he made some great movies. Some of it, he'd probably be canceled if he was making some of those movies. Oh, today. yeah. Yeah. You couldn't couldn't make those films today. You'd hurt people's fees instead That's of true. understanding. It's just comedy. Comedy. And I tell you, folks, today's episode is very entertaining as well. Like we're talking with the CTO of Ripple here in a bit, but uh he is he's he's really funny too. He's really engaging and very smart and got a great personality. You're gonna enjoy our conversation. But, but before that, I, I don't think there's any fart jokes in the interview. There's not I don't think we even mentioned corn one time. Except now. Except now we did. But we do have a show sponsor we want to let you know about Matrix Port. Have you lost your way in this low-yield environment while searching for a better store of value to help beat inflation? Look no further. Go to your bank and get a savings account. Get (laughs) 0.9% something, right? No, you want to invest with Matrixport to get uh, the most out of your crypto. You can invest today and earn up to 30% annualized yields. Go to badco.in forward slash Matrixport. Just like it sounds, Matrixport. Whoa, I know Kung Fu. Get jacked in. Wow. wow. And speaking of getting jacked in, we're going to get jacked into uh, XRP right now with David Schwartz. With Joel Katz. If you set the Wayback Machine to January 3rd, 2018, Travis, do you know what happened that day? On which day? January 3rd, 2018. Oh, I would say that's probably... When we uh, interviewed uh, Mr. Garlinghouse. That is correct. Brad Garlinghouse was on the show. Episode number 67, three wow. and a half years ago. Wow. It's been, it's been that long. And it's kind of amazing to me that we got the CEO of Ripple on so early on in the show's history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody knew who we were, but uh, and they, a lot of people still don't know that we say bad crypto and they're like, what? Who? But Brad came on because we both went to the University of Kansas, so it was like rock jog Jayhawk brethren. Uh huh. So, I'm sure that was it. Well, we rib like, him about yeah, that. We, Jayhawker, hell yeah. yeah. We rib Brad Brad about that all the time in the company. You know, that's kind of an inside ripple thing. It's good. Rock the rock. voice that you're hearing is that of David Schwartz, the CTO at Ripple. He's one of the original architects of the XRP ledger. He was a CTO for Webmaster Incorporated, a software company before that. He developed encrypted cloud storage, enterprise messaging systems for organizations like CNN and the National Security Agency. He is known as Joel Katz. 
I, I don't know what that's all about because I'm known as Joel Com because my name is Joel Com, but the David Schwartz is known as Joel Katz. So uh, Joel Katz, a.k.a. David, welcome to Bad Crypto. It is such a pleasure to be here, Joel. Should I call you Joel? I mean, <laughs> no. But the real Joel stand up? <laughs> no, nobody, no, nobody does that in person. It's just a pseudonym that I kind of carried from the early days of my interactions with the Internet. Well, that's funny. So my lineage uh, goes back to uh, Russia and my my great grandmother's name was Ida Katz. So there's the connection there. I'm Joel. She was a Katz. And now I own Crypto Kitties. So <laughs> and he has a dog. He doesn't like cats at all. I have a dog. I've, I've had it with cats. Yeah. So, uh, again, it's 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 been a while since we've spoken from some with somebody from Ripple. We're glad that you're here today and uh, we're going to we're going to ask you all the questions. And I just want to get the um, the elephant in the living room out of the living room so we can proceed, because <laughs> I have a feeling I know what the answers going to be. There's all kinds of you know litigation currently taking place. The SEC is breathing heavily down uh, the, the throat of Ripple. Um, is there anything you can speak to regarding that that won't get you in trouble? You know, it's it's funny. The one thing that that I am specifically told like not to talk about is pending litigation because the last, you know, it's one of the things about the lawsuit that frustrates me the most is that it kind of becomes a gag. Obviously, it's what a lot of people want to talk about. It's 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 important to the entire industry, not just to Ripple. And it is very personally frustrating to to me that I can't talk that I can't talk about it because you have words. There's so many things you would say if you could say them. Yeah, exactly. You you can't imagine how much it bothers me that I can't speak my my mind about something like my my entire life is like an ask me anything. Sometimes people will ask me on Twitter, like, David, when are you going to do another ask me anything? I'm like, I do one every day of my life on every platform that I use. and, And nothing bothers me more than having to gag myself about something that I would really like to talk about. And that's yeah, sorry, because it is something that obviously everybody does want to talk about. And I and I'm on I'm high up on that list of people who want to talk about it. This is going to be the first answer me nothing on the Bad Crypto <laughs> podcast. <laughs> an A an A M N, which is good. It's very, very I mean, stuff. what yeah, I, so, can do, I mean, there's I stuff can, in the news. We covered it in this in this last week's bad crypto news uh, timestamp. We're talking on the 15th of July. So if somebody hears this in the future and the lawsuits all resolved, people are going to be like, why the hell can't they even talk about it? What a weird thing. And so just as a timestamp, this is July 15th. And there was actually some news in uh, business insider yesterday, you know, talking about it and how it's, it's close to being resolved. Some, uh, some stuff going on. The SEC is like, no dog, we're not finished yet. And like, yeah, we are like, okay. So there's just some interesting stuff going on with that let's just let's just take us back in time because you you know you started out doing doing a lot of webmaster stuff way back in the day mm-hmm. and you, you've got a, you had a pretty prolific career uh in in the whole space and uh i mean you developed encrypted cloud storage for cnn and the nsa like you've got some background and some things and so tell us tell us a little bit about your background and and how you fell upon this whole crypto thing it it, it there's a lot of funny ironies in my background. I mean, I started out very interested in calculators and programmable pocket calculators because my father collected them. And uh, even at the age of three, I was able to program uh, like pocket calculators to do things like print out banners, like, you know, using numbers to form letters and, you know, on large banners and stuff like that. Yeah, I remember that one. It's five, eight, zero, zero. I can program those calculators too. Yeah, I did that at yeah, I did that at three. I was really obsessed with boobs at the age of three. Uh, maybe I was breastfed too long. Right? I probably we probably should change this other. So hey, look, on, <laughs> moving on with story. <laughs> so it, it's kind of funny that I, you know, I was drawn to engineering. I was drawn to computers. But the weird thing is, I felt at an early age that like I didn't want to be developing or writing software. That just seemed boring to me. Hardware just seemed and networking seemed so exciting, like large scale networks. And gradually over a period of time, I realized that really the hardware is more boring because it doesn't do any, like it, it has the capability to do things, but you don't actually get to make it do things. And that 
And I became more and more interested in software because there's instant gratification with software, right? You write a piece of code that does something and it's doing it immediately. And if it doesn't work, it, it just, it sticks in my craw. Like it's, oh, why is this not doing what it's supposed to be doing? And so um, I started working on distributed systems. I started working on encrypted storage and cloud messaging <laughs> and um, cloud storage, encrypted messaging, particularly encrypted messaging. This was the early days of the internet. Where, um, where people were just starting to use uh, the internet as a form of like broad engagement. You know, it's, it's, it's boring to say it today, like everybody knows this, but like a pitch back then was if you're a news site like CNN and you have a story, people only want to hear that story once, unless there's some major update and it's ongoing. But if you can get people to talk about the story, then they'll come back to see what other people have to say. And it's a sort of for, force multiplier. You can write one story and it can get much more engagement and that was that was a new idea then, and de developing the software and systems to enable that was was very exciting. And then keeping those systems secure, and improving you know communications in, for the military is kind of where that went. And then and then um, I discovered Bitcoin in about 2011. I stumbled on Bitcoin, and really like my interest had been in cryptography and distributed systems, and also uh, my family has a. a my family is so libertarian for one of my birthdays, I was taken to a libertarian presidential nominating convention. So <laughs> who was the, who was the candidate that year? I that, seem that... to remember Russell means being at least one of them. I don't remember much from it. I think it was, I was pretty young at the time. Is that what it, yeah. But yeah. Uh, so my, 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 a lot of libertarians in my family, some of them still, some of them, some of them not still. Um, and I would describe myself as more libertarian than anything else. But so, how do they like you working at CNN and the NSA? <laughs> I mean, that might have been before it was all fake news and deep state stuff, right? People freaking out about that. Well, you know, it, it, the, uh, you will hear a lot of people say, like, you know, Ripple is working to jump out of my story a little bit and like zoom into the present. Like, you hear people say, like, Ripple is working with banks and it's part of the existing financial system. It's like, but the drivers for the development of the internet were government, was government and the military. And it was institutions, yeah, mostly universities in the early days. But like th those, you know, there was a famous bank robber who when asked why he robbed banks that that's where the money is. Like that, that's where the engines of change are. And one of the things that I've discovered is you might think, banks are these big evil institutions or at best they're neutral because they're super happy with the way the world works and they don't want any change because they're at the top of the food chain but the truth is the banks that are at the top of the food chain there's maybe five banks at the top of the food chain and all of the other banks want to be the five banks at the top of the food chain so if you tell a story like that like that narrative like the big banks you know run the economy and they'll never let anybody else get a break and everything your local bank would probably agree with that Right. Because they're in that same financial system that you are and they're not at the top of the food chain. And so there's a lot of room. If what you want to do is democratize power and push power down, you have a lot of allies between you and the people at the top of the food chain who also don't aren't super happy with who's at the top of the food chain. Ripple kind of built a business around being an alternative to Swift and Swift is run by the biggest of the big banks. And the weird thing is, if you go to a bank and you say, do you want to use a system run by banks? You would think they say yes, because I think you think, well, they're a bank. Of course they want to run the system. But if you go to 90% of banks and you say, how do you feel about a system run by banks? What they hear is, how do you feel about a system run by our largest and most powerful competitors? Well, that doesn't sound, suddenly that doesn't sound so great. You know, so, so anyway, back to the story. I, that's uh, interesting. What, I, I didn't I didn't think about it in that term, you know, those terms that really, you know, we're talking about Chase and Citibank and Bank of America and Barclays, like the 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 biggies are the ones that benefit the most from keeping the system. But there's a lot of smaller banks that don't to necessarily forget. Right. To many people, big bank sounds redundant, like there are small banks. Yeah, they are. I mean, they're probably well, bigger big than you personally are. All these other banks over in the 90s, man, like in the 90s and early 2000s. Like I had one bank that then got acquired by a bank that then got acquired by another bigger bank. And now it's Bank of America. And it was like there was like four banks in there like that. There was so much acquisitions going on in the banking world. Mergers. It was just insane in the 90s. Yeah, I had a friend who sold a boat. And he had a loan on the boat that was discharged in the sale and he needed proof for the Coast Guard that the loan had been. So there was a sign off from like the current bank saying that the loan had been discharged. And then there was a stack of notarized statements 
from different banks saying that they had acquired all of the loans from some other bank. And you had to follow the chain to know that that bank had the authority to release the loan. Yeah, there's been a crazy uh, acquisition. And, and there are small, hungry banks that, that, that are not happy with the sort of domination of the big banks. And I guess the credit unions would all fall under that as well, because... Yeah, they have the same issues. So uh, I want to get back to your story, but I want to deal with one other elephant in the living room. And I'm not referencing any of our size because I'm I've got a few extra pounds right here. Um, I think we all do. This is something that we uh, spoke about with Brad, you know, uh, back in January of 2018 before crypto went because <laughs> it did shortly thereafter. I think Ripple hit like three bucks or something crazy. I'm going to force you to say XRP. XRP. I consider myself forced. So the question we asked him, and I'm going to ask you again right now, is their XRP and Ripple has their haters. And the the biggest claim of, of hate stems from it being highly centralized. What do you say to that? I, I would I would say that unless what you mean by centralized is the fact that Ripple is a company and owns a lot of XRP, mm-hmm. it's just factually not true that it's centralized. One of the most important things to understand about the way the XRP ledger operates is just like the Bitcoin blockchain, every participant in the network val- validates every transaction. Like Just like in Bitcoin, if you run a Bitcoin node, you don't need anyone else to tell you which transactions are valid because you know all the rules for valid transactions. The exact same thing is true of the XRP ledger. So nobody, if you wanted to imagine a scenario where Ripple tries to you know, censor a transaction or, or stop a transaction from executing or change the rules or create more XRP, you have the same problem you have in Bitcoin, which is you have to get everybody who runs a server to accept that code change in their computer. Ripple cannot tell a cryptocurrency exchange what software to run. We have no, we have no power to do that. And so you would, you would have the same problem that you would have in Bitcoin of having to persuade all of the major participants in the ecosystem to change the rules. So I, I think like, unless what you're talking about is the distribution, like I, I will concede Ripple holds a significant fraction of all of the XRP in existence. So, you know, that's, that's certainly a fact. What, but what, is, what point, is that number? What is the significant percentage? It's pretty close to 50%. Okay. But I would just also point out just as, as one point of comparison, though, nobody knows what the, dist- what the holdings are you know, of other cryptocurrencies. I doubt there's any entity that holds 50% of Bitcoin. I would say we'd probably know if that was the case, but I mean, like we don't know what those distributions are. And I would point out one other thing, which is that there's no mining or incentives, uh, native incentives on the XRP ledger design. Validators cost almost nothing to run and they operate free of charge and they provide the, they solve the double spend problem. So you don't have the overhang of miners. You don't have the higher transaction fees. So I, I'm not going to argue that it's better than Bitcoin in every possible way or better than Ethereum in every possible way. And therefore, you should definitely use it for literally everything, because that's not true. I mean, every engineering decision and everything in the real world has compromises. But it is decentralized in the sense that your transactions can't be censored or perverted. Your XRP can't be frozen. The rules can't be arbitrarily changed by a single entity. And the transaction fees are very, very low. And the confirmation times are very fast. You can fully confirm a transaction in about 10 seconds. So. If you don't like that bundle of trade-offs, then using the XRP ledger is probably not for you. But I think that's a pretty good bundle of trade-offs, particularly for applications that are very much like payments. Yeah, that's good. I know that, that, that some of it is that you guys got a bunch of XRP locked up in a vault. And I think a lot of people's concern is you just never know when they just might dump that into the market, right? So like, is there what are some of the safeguards that are maybe in place with all of that XRP that's in the vault? Like, what are the rules for when that XRP can be released, or are there any rules? There's a feature on the XRP ledger called escrow. And what its primary purpose is, is uh, the traditional function of escrow. Like if you're going to buy something from me and you know you want to make sure that I have the funds and I want to make sure that you don't get the funds unless you give me the thing I'm buying. So I can lock my funds in escrow in such a way that I get the funds back if you don't deliver the thing I'm buying and you get the funds if you do deliver the thing I'm buying. And that escrow feature has a timeout feature. So you can say, if this transaction isn't resolved by a certain date, then I get the money back. 
And you can set a transaction such that it's provably impossible to resolve. Just like you can create a Bitcoin address that you can send Bitcoin to, and it's provable that those Bitcoins can never leave that address because you know that address doesn't have any key corresponding to it. And we did the exact same thing. So we created an escrow transaction or a series of them with particular um, expiration dates such that it's impossible to satisfy the escrow. It's like provably mathematically impossible to satisfy the escrow conditions. So you know that that XRP can't move until the release date. And when we initially set that up, we set up a series of escrows, each for a billion XRP, one month apart. And what we said to the world is, as these escrows release, we'll decide you know, how much XRP we need based on, because we couldn't predict you know, what the circumstances were going to be years from the date of the escrow, but we had to make the lockup at, at one particular time. So we said, as each escrow is released, we'll make a decision of how much XRP we want to use for some pur- whatever purposes we have, and then we'll lock the rest back in escrow and sort of add another month to the escrow. And we've been doing that for probably about two years now since the escrow was created. And what's nice about that is there's a very clear, like you can say, oh, this month Ripple got a hundred, you know, got a billion XRP out of escrow and they put 937 million back in. And so therefore they have, you know, 63 million that they've taken out. And so you can, you can see on the ledger, like exactly the rate at which Ripple has taken that money out and put that money back into escrow. Nice. Appreciate that answer. We have now dealt with the two elephants in the living room. Uh, and we are free to recline and enjoy the rest of the conversation. It reminds me of the old Groucho Marx joke. Uh, last night, I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How he got in my pajamas, I'll never know. But I'm bumps. Anyhow, um, let's talk a little bit about federated side chain, because I don't know what All the right. hell that is. And that's that's something that um, you are super deep into. Well, first, I have to tell my version of that joke. So my version of that joke is I spotted a leopard last night. Don't be silly. They come that way. But <laughs> it's worse, very but, much. You know, very, very nice. Wow, you got this is the King Dad joke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Today. Very nice. So let's talk about federated sidechains. So first of all, can you make it sexy? The, can you make it? Can you make it exciting? Because I'm like, you say it radio boys. Like, hey, baby, <laughs> hey, baby nice. we're going to talk about federated sidechains. Chicka chicka mow mow. <laughs> Federated side chain. No, I can't. <laughs> so let's talk first about what federated means. I hope we have a couple of Star Trek fans out there who know that the Federation is sort of a loose association of individual entities that cooperate for some reason. There's something that they can do by cooperating that they couldn't do as well on their own, but that they don't necessarily completely trust each other and they have their own individual interests. So it's sort of a bounded cooperation to achieve some specific end that they can achieve better together than they can individually. And as a federation, they have a certain credibility that they wouldn't have. You know, if you meet the Vulcans and you're just speaking on behalf of Earth, that's you know different if you're speaking on behalf of the federation. So that's what a federation is. And that is how I'm using the term federation, obviously, though it wouldn't be planets. And a side chain, um, essentially, uh, that, that that's used a little differently in different in different parts of the of the cryptocurrency space. But what I mean by a side chain is I mean a chain that has some of the same assets that another chain has, typically a main chain. So like XRP has the XRP ledger, which we, you would say is the main chain. It's sort of the authoritative record of all XRP, just like the Bitcoin blockchain is the authoritative record of all Bitcoin. But while Bitcoin, while like some entity has Bitcoin on the Bitcoin blockchain or XRP on the XRP ledger, they can create a private ledger that, that sort of manages that Bitcoin or that XRP, among other people. Every exchange does this, right? So if I send my uh, Bitcoin to Coinbase, Coinbase will give me a credit inside their system. And on the Bitcoin blockchain, my Bitcoin is sitting in Coinbase's account. So federations can have accounts on main chains. And while cryptocurrency assets live in those accounts on the main chains, the sidechain can create a record of the movement of that cryptocurrency, which can later be withdrawn on the main chain. Now, sidechains can also have their own native assets, and they can also have assets from multiple chains. So, for example, you could create a sidechain that used that had an Ethereum virtual machine, so you could upload Ethereum smart contracts onto it, and then you could have a way through the federation to move Bitcoin, XRP, and Ether onto that sidechain. The advantage of the sidechain is uh, a couple of different things. One of them is horizontal scaling, right? Bitcoin, the Bitcoin blockchain can handle something like 12 transactions per second, and that's it. But if you had a bunch of sidechains, those sidechains would provide their own transaction throughput, and they can provide features that the main chains don't have. 
And I think the other thing that is the most interesting is that if we build a platform for people to easily build federated sidechains, you can experiment in adding new features at the blockchain layer, which you can't really do. Like if you build on Ethereum, you're stuck with Ethereum's fee structure, you're stuck with Ethereum's virtual machine, you're stuck with Ethereum's rules on how much storage space and processing power you can have. You can't change those rules unless you build your own chain. So if you make it very easy for people to build their own chain, then they can experiment, they, they have a broader range of experiments that they can do rather than having to take all of the chain's characteristics as a given. What does that have to do with Ripple X? Is that part of the is that a side chain? Is that how does that fit into that equation? Okay. Um, so Ripple X is sort of half of Ripple. You can kind of think of Ripple as um, divided into two pieces. Ripple Net, which is the global blockchain enterprise payments network, the sort of Swift competitor that people talk about, and then Ripple X, which is kind of the rest of the company. Uh, what Ripple X is working on broadly is providing tools, services, protocols, and programs to developers to make it easier for them to build on platforms like the XRP Ledger. Yeah, so so it would be Ripple X that would be working on federated sidechains from Ripple side, along with people in the community who work on it, also working on things like NFTs, CBDC private ledgers, um, further development of the XRP Ledger software, and then new tools to interact with both the XRP Ledger and other platforms. The the uh, one word or phrase that you said there that really catches my attention is NFTs because Travis and I are so deep down the NFT rabbit hole. The massive portion of my day focuses on NFTs. So how yeah. do NFTs fit into the whole Ripple X future? You know, it's it's early to say, and 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 I could I hear people make the argument that like NFTs are going to be a flash in the pan, kind of like ICOs were. But I think that there's a very strong possibility that NFTs could be a very big thing, like creating a, a huge new sector of an economy, potentially even bring crypto mainstream, allowing consumers to engage with creators and uh, allowing developers to monetize things in ways that weren't previously possible. Um, NBA Top Shot, you know, is is just just the size, the scope of that. I think that was a wake up call to people in the industry when they saw the numbers that that, that, that site was doing. And, and not just the numbers, but also the user experience, I think is important. Cause like crypto user experiences tend to be, you know, they're, they're, they're not, let's be honest, like they're not great. You really have to be super into the tech and you have to really be excited about crypto to tolerate the user experience of most of the crypto, most of the crypto world. That it's cause it's, it, it's immature, but NBA Top Shot was just so polished and so perfect. And and that that kind of alignment of like wait 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 perfect <laughs> perfect okay. it was well, anything but perfect I mean they, they have a looked, good UI good UX but like not perfect at all it, it okay. looked, they looked okay they could have done even better on them I think I mean they were they're they're decent NFTs right too fast that was a problem is that they grew too fast they weren't able to scale yeah. enough I think that's part is is part of what there's been a downturn in NBA top shots because it hit a peak, but then they were like, Oh man, we can't sell packs and have the marketplace open at the same time. And Oh no. And the marketplace is that, Oh, you can't sell this right now. And then after a while, I was like, what? I can't sell. I can't buy anything. Okay. Like it was a bummer, but luckily they finally put beta on the site. Like, Oh, it's a beta now. I think another thing is the overlap between NBA and crypto enthusiasts is like they ran to NBA Top Shot. It's like, you made this just for me. And that's obviously the per- that perfect overlap is small. What they have to be able to do is break into the broader, the broader market of NBA fans who don't even necessarily know what an NFT is. But uh, to do a little mind expanding here, I want to make like the bullish case for NFTs, like the potential argument that NFTs could like really blow the world away. And what I would say is digital rights are a huge market. They're a huge market. Every single one of us, you know, if you read books on Kindle, if you have buy movies on Hulu, or if you have satellite or cable TV, if you're an old fogey like me who still has satellite or cable TV, like you rent, you, you buy movies and you have these bundles of digital rights all over the place and you don't even know what you have sometimes. And they're, they're attached in weird ways. Like if you buy a movie on your cable TV service and three years later, you want to watch the movie again, but you, do, you drop cable, you can't. Like it's, it's a market that's ripe for disruption and it's huge. Like if you think of the market for NFTs as potentially the entire digital rights market, not just the, well, even the entire collectible market is huge. You say, well, collectibles are kind of a niche thing. Digital rights are not a niche thing. 
you know, digital rights are massive and NFTs are about making digital rights ownership work better for the owners. And this is the other thing that I, that I think makes something right for disruption. An industry is right for disruption when it's built for the middleman, right? It's not built for either, if it's an, like, for example, if you look at Uber as a disruptor, if you think about the taxi industry, is it great for the riders? Not really. Is it great for the drivers? Not really. Like, uh, so Uber's, Uber basically said the taxi industry has been built for the taxi industry. It's not great for either end. Like the digital rights industry is not great for the person who wants the digital rights, because if I buy a movie on Hulu and then I drop Hulu because it's not the best service for me, I lose those digital rights. And it's not built for the rights holder, because if you have, let's say you have a movie that just came out and, and you have one shot for me to buy it for $21, like you have maybe two or three months in which I'll pay $21 for that movie. And you want me to buy that movie for $21 when it's new. I'm not going to do that if I'm worried that I might drop Hulu for in a month or two because it's 70 bucks a month. I'm not going to because if I want to see the movie now and I might want to see it a year later, I'll just rent it. So it's not a good market for the rights buyers and it's not a good market for the rights sellers. If that's not a market right for disruption, I don't know what is. And digital rights is a huge market. So NFTs could be, could be massive. And I think that's the reason why Ripple has decided to commit to NFTs that inspiration that this really could be. Now, it, 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 it's true you can make the bear case that it could burn out, it's unproven, it could be a flash in the pan, you know, like 3D or maybe ICOs were, but but I mean, it's hard to be sure, but you know. Not gonna happen, you, you want, not gonna well, happen. And, and, and do you wanna sit on the sidelines and wait until it's absolutely proven that it's a big thing before you move on? Like, that's not a great, you know, imagine if Amazon had said, we're gonna wait to see if cloud storage becomes big, you know, if cloud, cloud computing becomes big before we, you know, that, that's obviously not a great strategy. Somebody has to make the roads, right? Every time I think of the technologies that we're pioneering here, you know, with NFTs, there was no subscription box before we created a, a subscription box. There was um, no blending stuff on wax to, you know, to burn and create something new. So we're, we talked to developers, we created something new. And it reminds me, you know, I lived in Denver in Colorado for 14 years and the first pioneers that came upon the Rockies, imagine they're coming through Kansas right through through all the fields they don't even realize that they're going up a mile high by the time you hit that kansas colorado border because it's so slow and gradual but then you see off in the distance these these little hills and you get closer and all of a sudden you're in front of these giant rockies you're like well crap somebody's got to build a road and the roads that are being built now are the roads that generations are going to drive on until we finally get to back to the future level where we don't yeah, and I I think this is one of those or this is one of those technologies that is very early, and you can make the same thing with the whole cryptocurrency space. Like, is it gonna is like there's a there, I've spoken to Bitcoin maximalists who say, well, it's obvious like Bitcoin's gonna take over like the entire universe and no one's ever gonna use fiat again. But you know, there's still a couple of trillion dollars in legacy fiat assets. You know, there's still an economy out there to be taken over. And so building those connectors between, you know, between the new technologies and the older technologies and between the new technologies and consumers. And yeah, it's a huge, tremendous opportunity. It, it is. And so where do you foresee, you know, uh, Ripple and XRP sort of fitting into that? Are you guys maybe looking at building your own sort of uh, marketplaces? Are you building technologies for people to be able to launch NFTs? Are you looking at more enterprise level NFTs? that more corporations are going to be utilizing? Like, what are some of the things, how are you thinking about it over there? Wow, that's that's a pretty broad, that's a, that's a great question. It's also, a, you know, kind of a tricky question. So, you know, we invested in Mintable, and that, which has an NFT marketplace that allows people to, you know, easily buy, create, and sell digital items. And um, I think the direction that the industry is going to go is at first, like people are going to want to engage with the like, like names that they know. I think you're going to see expansion on that, that end, similar to what NBA Top Shots has done. There are a lot of big heavyweights out there that have portfolios of digital rights that they would like to monetize. And then I think you're going to see the sort of community ground up growth of the, the random person who has something, you know, some sort of something that they can produce, like like uh, small artists and large artists driving the way. So I think you're going to have a little bit of a meet at the middle. You're going to have sort of a bottom up and you're going to have sort of a top down uh, kind of effect going on. Um, it's also part of sort of tokenization more broadly. So as far as like how does that impact things like the XRP ledger? Um I think I think we're getting to a world where you're going to see broader tokenization where people can more easily buy and sell assets. Like what happens today 
is you get, I get paid in dollars and I can move them to a brokerage account or I can buy things, but I can only buy the things that like that brokerage account is connected to. If you think that the world is going to become more tokenized, as I think I do, then first of all, all of those tokens can't live on the same blockchain. There's just no, we, we, we don't know how to build a blockchain that scales to that, to that level without essentially becoming multiple blockchains. To get that heart, you're going to have to have that horizontal scaling. Um, and I think features that the XRP ledger has, like its decentralized exchange and its integration of payments with uh, sort of uh, with that exchange, are the kind of features that people are going to need in this world where they can sort of, you know, I get paid in dollars, but I immediately move my money into gold because I'm a gold bug, or I like to hold a lot of Bitcoin or XRP, or, you know, I go to the grocery store and I want to pay them with shares of Apple stock. Like to give people that kind of flexibility, we're going to have to build an interoperable world. So federated side chains can do that. You could also imagine NFTs that can move from chain to chain. That technology is not that terribly difficult to develop. So I kind of see NFTs as part of that sort of broader move to, to tokenize everything. As a, and the sort of end product for the end user is that their digital rights, their money, their investments are all easily managed in a platform that's really under their control, that's not through a single custodian or operator. I think that there'll be a, a federated side chains of America or something in the, the future. The FSA, we're on your side. No, maybe um, not. Well, I, well, you really want federated science chains to be operated by diverse groups that have sort of interests that are not so well aligned so that they're unlikely to sort of conspire against you. So that's where things mm -hmm. are going to get interesting to figure out. Um, how do you how do you build so you want to build things that you can't control but like the incentive to build something is that you expect to monetize it in some way like people generally don't build things out of the goodness of their heart but there is one interesting thing going on in this industry like i say people don't generally build things out of the goodness of their heart but um there are ways that that things that you would normally think someone would only do because they were like a nice person who wanted to help the world can be in an in economic interest like a good example would be um Google developing technologies like SPDY and HTTP2. Like the, Google is not going to monetize those technologies. These are technologies that make the World Wide Web a better place for everyone. Google can't make money on those core technologies. But the better the World Wide Web is, the more money Google can make because the market for search is like people using the World Wide Web. And the more you use the web and the more things you use it for, the more things you're going to need to search for. And so Google can afford to make the internet a better place, even if that's very expensive, even though they can't directly monetize it because that furthers their business model. And the same thing is true of like Twitter. Right, Twitter benefits tremendously from the fact that I have internet access in my home and I have this phone right here that you know I can tweet on um, anytime I want to. But Twitter didn't give me home internet access or that phone, the whole ecosystem did. And cryptocurrency companies like Ripple, their target markets, like if you imagine the, the cryptocurrency landscape, landscape 10 years from now, the target users, that market that we'll market to doesn't exist today. Like there aren't crypto enough cryptocurrency users. Your grandmother, my stereotype, I. I, I should use grandfather to not be gendered, or I guess that's discriminating against the elderly. There's no perfect example, but like the stereotypical person who wants to be able to drive a car, but doesn't want to be a mechanic or wants to use a computer, but doesn't have the time to learn how to build one, you know, could be a busy executive even. Like cryptocurrency is really not for them now. There's an enormous amount of specialized knowledge you have to have. Do your own research is the, the, the you know, the cry in this space. Well, boy, if you had to do all that research, you know, to drive a car or to, to use a computer, people just wouldn't, you can't have mass adoption that way. Only people who have these sort of niche interests. The path to mass adoption uh, is going to be when you don't have to have that sort of expertise and knowledge, when you have that target market of people who can easily use cryptocurrency services because like that world, that, that sort of decentralized world exists. So, that, so I think what we need to do is we need to realize that like crypto, everyone in this space benefits from a bigger pie. We benefit from there being more cryptocurrency users. Even if you're not a Bitcoin maximalist, more Bitcoin users is good. Like if you're an Ethereum person, people who have Bitcoin can easily buy Ethereum, can easily interact with the, you know, with the, the Ethereum blockchain. And so we really are all in this together. We can build uh, I don't, decentralized systems. I don't understand um, the mentality of Bitcoin maximalists to say everything else is a shit coin when there are so many utilities for these so-called shitcoins that do things that Bitcoin doesn't do or does things Bitcoin does faster. I, I just, mm -hmm. I, I don't understand it. You can't, I don't see anybody making NFTs on, on Bitcoin. So it's so, it's so ironic because the thing that inspired me about Bitcoin was this message, this ethos that 
Don't build on the legacy systems that have layers and layers of cruft that have accumulated, that are built on terrible bottom, you know, the bottom pipes in the financial system were built in the 60s and 70s. And that's still like when you do a wire transfer, it's still like, you know, the transfer transfers still happen. There are many systems where transfers still only happen during business hours because like the tapes were on the, you know, they couldn't take the tapes out of the machine at any other time. Like it was crazy. It's crazy. And the ethos in the Bitcoin was like, let's just throw all that crap away. Let's build a new bottom layer that's that's based on the best technology and people will use it because it will be the best thing out there. And yeah, you won't enrich like the incumbents in the financial system, but the hell with them. Use what's, do what's best for you. And the weird thing is now, the bit, when you go to the Bitcoin maximalist and you tell them, well, you know, your throughput is lower than what other people have and your, 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 your transaction fees are higher and they'll say, well, build on Bitcoin and come up with with higher layers that will like solve those problems. But that, that but like you could build higher layers that solve the problems with the dollar, right? Like you could like the incumbents will tell you, you can build on top, build on top of the dollar, build on top of the traditional financial system. You can add new layers to fix any. You can always add new layers to fix problems. You can always do that. But the ethos was not to do that. The ethos was to build on the best possible bottom layers because bad bottom layers they infect the higher that they infect their way up. Like, and, and, and it's weird to me that like big Bitcoin is now saying build on Bitcoin rather than the platforms that are cheaper and faster and better for your particular applications. And let's be honest, the reason they're trying to do it is to enrich themselves. Like they're, they're incumbents. They're like, if you hold a lot of Bitcoin, you're a Bitcoin incumbent and you expect yourself to be enriched by broader adoption of Bitcoin. It's sort of like, absolute power corrupts absolutely like if you have your hands in like i own a whole lot of bitcoin i want bitcoin to win don't i don't want these other coins to win shut up about them yeah it's just it, it is it, it's it's something in human nature that once they get that sort of power it's like it, they always try it, it's just a weird weird scenario i want to i want to yeah. actually talk about this here real quick because you guys have some raving fans you guys got haters but you got raving fans too like i'm i'm connected with a couple of really good dudes uh, Brad Kimes, who's uh, Digital Perspectives and Digital Asset Investor. And these guys are on YouTube and they're talking about XRP pretty much all the time. There's so much <laughs> stuff going on with XRP. Like you get mouthpieces talking about your company out there all the time. And you guys are getting free advertising because you got so many raving fans. Like what did you guys do over time to kind of build and nurture your community? Because you really have a rabid fan base. I think there are a couple of things. I think the big one is just to be consistent, just to con to deliver to deliver a message that that you, you believe and that you act in ways that are consistent with the thing that you're saying. And I think the other thing is um, something that I kind of struggle with, and because it's so important to me, and that I've focused on very much is. When you say things that sound good to people, like when you say to people, like I value diversity, or you say things like, you know, you know, doing good is important to me. People will always think, oh, that's just something that like everybody says. And the problem is like when you're talking to people who are gonna then go and do things, if they think about the things you say as things you don't mean, then that communication becomes impossible. And like running a company becomes impossible. People are like, oh, that's just something the CEO always says. Like, and they, the, like if, but if, you, if you make it clear that like you really mean the things that you're saying, you, like when I say we are in this together, we need to grow the pie. It's, stu it's absolutely stupid for people in the crypto industry to be trying to fight for a slice of a, a bigger slice of this a tiny pie we have now compared to what it could be you know, in a decade. I, it, you have to be consistent enough that people know that you mean it and you have to show it in your own actions. And I think that that message is what convinces people that you're not one of those people who is sort of just talking their own book. You know, it, it, it's kind of a feedback mix. And like, I would bet a lot of those super fans probably hold XRP. And the cynical thing to say is, well, they're talking their own book. They hold XRP and they're hoping that, you know, in some way their messages will like increase the value of XRP. But it's but the reverse is also true. Like if you believe the messaging around a particular cryptocurrency, if you believe that Bitcoin is going to take over the world, then you're if you really believe that, you're probably going to own some XR, some Bitcoin, right? Because you probably think its value is going to go up because of that. And so I don't I I, I understand the cynical view, but I think like if you're very consistent with people and you even admit to things that are not to your advantage when that's the case, when that's the case, you say to people, look, and I've said this a lot, I've said to people like. I don't want you to use XRP if it's not the right solution for your problem. Like XRP can't do some things Ethereum can do. If you need those things, don't use, like I don't want Ripple customers even, like I'll Ripple customers, people will say like, why don't you force your customers to use XRP? Like, wouldn't that be good for you? 
if we give our customers bad experiences, we're not going to have customers. Like we need, to, we really do need to grow the market, just like in internet companies in the nineties, like if they wanted to be successful, they needed to grow the internet. They didn't need to grow themselves to get more of the nineties internet users, right? They needed to grow the space. So we really, I, I, I can't, I, I can't, this is not just something that I say, like we really do mean it when we say like we're in this together and that we need to build the markets that companies like Ripple will sell into in the future. And I think that vision uh, is very inspiring. And I think that when people, once people get that, I think kind of their attitude changes and it does get you out of some of the cynicism of, well, everybody in this industry is just talking to them about. You have many words, David, and I like Sorry. them. I like, no, oh, it's, good. you don't apologize when you're being interviewed, you're supposed <laughs> to have many words and an interesting thought. So you've, you've brought it today. I want to ask one more question here before we close out. And this is the, uh, the XRP ledger moving forward. What are we, uh, what are we looking out for here? You're, if anybody's in tune with the developments, it's the CTO, what comes next? So in the early days of the XRP ledger, very, very early, uh, I realized that payments was like a big use case. It was like a multi-trillion dollar problem. And I thought that if we could build the XRP ledger to be like the best solution for payments, like how could that not be enough? You know, you're the best solution to a multi-trillion dollar problem. And I kind of had this sort of, if you build it, they will come mentality. And I do believe today, like that that, that vision, uh, you know, shared by me and others has been executed. And I do believe like, if you look at the XRP ledger's characteristics, it is the best ledger for payments. And you would think that like, well, everybody would use it for payments then. And of course they don't, right? I mean. It's used for a lot of different things, but it certainly hasn't taken the payments world by storm. So I think that vision of like being the best for payments is good, but it's not enough. And I think it would be foolish to sacrifice that and make the XRP ledger worse for payments because I still think payments is a big problem that the XRP ledger could solve. But I think that it has to be it, like the feature set has to be broadened. You know, we built a decentralized exchange into the XRP ledger because we envisioned a multi-asset world. And so I think that tokenization, multi-asset. And I think the other thing is another early vision that, that I had for the XRP ledger was this idea that in most payment systems that whether it's cross-currency, like if you do a wire transfer or you, know, you, you send money out of the country, you know, use SWIFT, what happens is um, you don't get a choice of where the liquidity comes from. The payment company like sort of decides like how do your dollars turn to euros? And I had this vision of a system where the pools of liquidity were public and anybody could contribute to them and draw off them. So if I had dollars, but I'd rather have euros and you had euros, but you'd rather have dollars and someone has Bitcoin, but they'd rather have ether, they could sort of enter those preferences into a system that could sort of find that path and make those payments work. And I think that is the, that kind of path to a tokenized future where all the things that you want to have are tokenized and you have this system where people who have the asset you want and want the asset you have can easily be found and discovered. I still think like that, that's the big problem that cryptocurrencies and systems like the XRP ledger need to solve. So take off your, your XRP Ripple CTO hat. And we're talking to David, we're talking to David Schwartz. We're talking to Joel. That, that's Kat. his hair that he's wearing. It's not, you don't yeah. want him to take that off. <laughs> tap into the Joel Katz persona, your mind, you've, you've been on the internet, like, what most excites you right now, you know, in, in crypto or maybe in technology? Like, what are some of the things that are just like that you're exploring and you're researching, you're going, holy shit, this could be huge, aside from anything we might have already talked about? Well, I have kind of two answers to that. So one of them is zero knowledge proofs, like as a cryptographer, are just absolutely fascinating to me. I think like in the early days of public key cryptography, for those who may not know, public key cryptography is like what makes everything secure on the internet. It's how you can use your credit card on the internet. It's, a, it's a, an amazing technology. And it was developed in the, by uh, researchers in the military, both in the United States and in Great Britain in the 70s. And nobody used it for anything for like 30 years, mm. or 25 years. Um, I think uh, zero knowledge proofs are kind of in that same vein. This is a new, this, these are so fundamentally new thing that you can do with cryptography that is it's used in privacy coins like Zcash, but it really is something that could be, that could only enable us to, to solve a very, very big dilemma that we have, which is we have a dilemma between privacy and trust. If you want to lend me money, you need to trust me. And the easiest way for you to trust me is for me to give you a whole bunch of information about me. But if I do that, and I have to trust you not to like give out that information. And we all know what happens. Information just leaks out there like massively. And so everybody knows everything. 
Uh, zero knowledge proofs can resolve that dilemma and allow me to prove to you that I'm credit worthy without giving you any information that you could share to anybody else. Literally all you would know is that I'm somehow credit worthy. Uh, and, and it's incredibly broad, the applications for that technology. So that's, that's tremendously exciting to me because we don't know what the applications of that are going to be, but it solves a really big uh, like ecosystem problem. I think the other thing that's exciting to me is giving people more freedom and more ability to manage their money. I, you know, I'm very privileged. I live in the United States. I make a good salary. Like I can easily invest money. I'm not the kind of person who just has to, you know, live paycheck to paycheck. But there are a lot of people who don't have control over their finances because they don't have that kind of access to the financial system. And that's a tool of oppression the same way like information was a tool of oppression prior to the Internet. You know, people in North Korea used to think Kim Jong-il, their leader at the time, was a respected intellectual in the West because that was all they heard. And they got to the point where they were like sharing flash drives of Western media about their leader. So then that became a, you know, it's one thing to be able to say, um, yeah, life sucks in, in our country. We're poor, you know, we're poor and hungry, but in the United States, nobody has healthcare and people are vomiting in the streets, which while true is a very misleading, you know, it's an incredibly misleading. Only in San Francisco. Oh, <laughs> right. Being in the streets. Sorry. <laughs> right. But you can paint that misleading picture if you have control over the flow of information. And similarly, like you can use control over the flow of money as a tool of oppression. Governments like print money to create wars. They debase the currency as a tool of oppression and they can find out how people are spending their money. This possibility of cryptocurrency as a human liberating force is just it's been tremendously inspiring to me. And it's what what I saw in Bitcoin in the very early days. And I think we're moving in the direction of delivering on that promise. And I will add one more thing. And a lot of people, this is where a lot of people say, well, yeah, but you know, but like enterprises are going to take it over. And well, enterprises took over the internet. And for a long time, that was that, uh, like, it's instructive to look at what happened there. So the internet was a huge democratizing force for information. And just recently, like in the past four years, it has kind of backslid a bit. Like, let's be honest, like new gatekeepers have emerged. So I'm very cognizant of the fact that that's a battle that people are going to have to fight and keep fighting. And I feel like we're in that battle right now, both on the Internet to sort of not have these gatekeepers who get to decide, like, you know, what kind of access people have. But I think we have that same thing with money to not have gatekeepers that get to decide what people can do with their money. Censorious evil overlords that want control. Uh, I'd, I'd like to keep going, but the SEC just messaged me and they said that we are conducting an unregistered podcast. And so uh, we. <laughs> yeah, and I just got a text from the Biden administration saying that this call is unsanctioned. So we yeah. shouldn't be. No, I want to say this. I want to say this, David. I have a much greater feel and positive vibe around uh, Ripple and XRP, knowing that you are the CTO. I love the way you think. You're woke. You're, you're aware of what's really going on and some of the big problems that's going on in the world. And if we don't solve some of these problems, we're headed towards a, a technocratic authoritarian dystopia of some sort. And so hopefully we got some of the good guys out there who can right the ship so we don't go too far off course. My, my perpetual nightmare is that people I talk to be like, oh, yeah, that shit David says. Like, I, I don't know how many times I can put and I really mean it on the end of the things I say to convince people, you know what I mean? You know, it, it, maybe you need to do like that, that game and, and tag in bed on the interview. <laughs> and I really mean it in bed. Right. Everything. Yeah. I, I joke that like the authors of the Bill of Rights should have put and we really mean it at the end of each amendment. Yeah, well, they, they should have said, and we really mean it, you stupid sons of bitches. I, yeah, I really do feel like that. I feel, mm-hmm. I, whenever you hear me speak, understand this, and, and I really mean it at the end of everything that's on stage. First Amendment, freedom of speech, and we mean it, okay, fuckers? We mean yeah. it. And, and we're going to put the Second Amendment there to guarantee the first. Duh. We mean it, too. Good we stuff. mean that too. That one definitely should have had, and we mean it on the end of it. In bed, David Schwartz, Ripple CTO. David, thanks for <laughs> uh, for joining us today. It's been great. Pleasure to be here. Do not take firearms to bed. Wow, that's some Schwartz you got there. Hey, the Schwartz be with you. <laughs> uh, you know, I still I remain Ripple XRP agnostic. I do own a little bit, and um, I remember, you know, I definitely bought some when it was cheap. And sold a little bit on the last run. I'm holding a small amount right now. Hmm, I have none, but I can see that your Schwartz is as big as mine. 
So everybody, thank you for uh, for tuning in, for listening. We'd love to hear from you. We're thinking about uh, playing some more of your voicemails. But in order to play them, we must have them. And it's really easy for us to have them. All you need to do is call the Bad Crypto Hotline and talk to our receptionist. Her name Julie. is Julie. Her name's Julie, Julie, the receptionist, yeah. also the uh, the ship cruise director. And uh, <laughs> she is there. To, we don't let her sleep. She is always, always up and uh, somebody's got to run on the hamster wheel. So Julie does that. And the number is 708-885-9030, 708-885-9030. And if you didn't get it after the second time, just pause the podcast player or hit the little rewind thing that takes you back 15 seconds and you can listen to it all over again. Listen to it at half speed. Yeah, actually, what you might want to do is actually program it into your phone and call often. 708-885-9030. 708-885-9030. Put it as bad crypto hotline. And whenever you're feeling down or feeling good or one of your cryptos go palau, just give us a call. Uh, you know what I'm thinking, Trav? I'm thinking that we should do a, a crypto roulette soon. Okay. Because that was since we're fun. Not doing, since we're not doing as much news right now, Joel's got tired of doing so much news. It looks like it's down and out in crypto land. Well, <laughs> but actually, know, it, Bitcoin's at $44,000 right now. So that's pretty good. Yeah, Maybe no, we Bit- should include a little bit of news whenever we're doing these interviews. Add some news. News and views. Bitcoin is at $44,000 <laughs> timestamp August 8th, 2021, which, by the way, Sir Lord Travis, is this not the anniversary of the release of the first blockchain heroes? Is this happy anniversary happy hero versary happy anniversary it was a year okay let's just put things in perspective okay we did release some promo nfts for blockchain heroes before that but since august 8th of 2020 we have released three blockchain hero sets multiple partner and promo cards the bitcoin collection several editions of that the nifty box um, Upland collectibles, crazy eggs, bro punks. Between you and I, we have minted over a million NFTs in one year. Yeah. And the official hero account on Atomic Hub has had 131,062 secondary market transactions totaling almost $3 million. Mm. Meanwhile, while you were sleeping, the Ethereum London fork happened and allegedly, and we haven't really gone into this and maybe we will look at this for uh, our next episode is that Ethereum is now being burned with every transaction that Mm. supply. It is, it is, I think that much closer to being a deflationary. It's still not because there's a shit ton of Ethereum out there still, but um, if they're burning Ethereum with every transaction, that's that's pretty cool. And so Ethereum has kind of gone up 20 percent this week over that. It's back over three thousand. Can I yeah. give you my predictions? Sure. I want to hear some predictions. Here's my crystal ball, my crystal ball. And, and this is from no technical analysis because I don't do it. This is from no inside scoop because I don't have one. And this is from not being a financial advisor. So take this with the biggest grain of salt you can find in your salt shaker, people. Okay, I think Bitcoin's going to push up to about forty eight thousand dollars and then we're going to see it pull back down to around forty two. Then we're going to make the run for 50. And I think once we hit 50, 60 is going to be smooth sailing. That's okay. what I think. That that's well, what about pers- that? We've already had sixty five thousand this year. So how's it? What yeah. are we gonna do? Are we gonna go bust up beyond that? Oh yeah, this this year. I I I and many others believe that this bull run is nowhere near over. We were saying it when it was happening before the mini bull run. We were saying it when it pulled back down to under thirty thousand. I'm sticking by it that we have yet to see um, the highs that we're going to see this year. I think it all depends really maybe upon the the senators who are, you know, brokering some deals on the infrastructure bill that's going through because there could be some serious regulation and stuff going on on this $1 trillion infrastructure package. And um, there's there's a lot of really crazy questions going on about this. So we're going to see what's going on and we will report on it next week or once we find some, uh, once it gets finalized, we'll let you know what's happened. 
Uh, so about the news, it's true that I have been somewhat bored about covering the news because it's it's pretty much standard stuff that you would expect. Right. It's 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 starting to feel the same to me that uh, the regulators are doing this and Bitcoin goes up and Bitcoin goes down. And since we're not like doing technical analysis and making predictions, crypto and blockchain keep moving forward. I'm so much more excited about the NFT space because there's so much innovation happening in it right now. And we have so many people that are, are more knowledgeable than us to interview for the show. So I'm like, oh, let's take the week off of news and let's talk to somebody super smart there we go that's what we did that's and that's what we'll do maybe what we'll do is like we'll add in some more crypto roulette so we can learn about tokens because i know people like those and then have some bad news when we decide to do some bad news yeah. it's our show we do what we want uh. that's right so we appreciate you guys call us write us send us cookies and uh drop us nfts because we like those too we'll catch you guys on the next episode cookies cookies Talk Stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. And eat cookies. Oh, cookie monster. Corn keys? <laughs>